Hello folks, I'm Paul White and thanks for joining me on our sermon podcast for today. The message that you are about to hear is titled Forced Into the Kingdom. I hope you'll stay with me on that title. I know that's a little unusual. We're going to walk you through some Jesus passages from a couple of Gospels to show you what we mean coming from uh, an ancient language into ours and how we might be able to perceive something a little better if we had a little better understanding of what Jesus said. It's a message that is not a traditional sermon in that I didn't stand in front of a church and preach this. This was more of an extemporaneous conversation. We met with our friends in Chapin, South Carolina, and it was a sit-down sort of circle meeting where it was conversational in style. When I go into those meetings, I go in with a verse or two, a topic, and I've worked a little bit of it out. I do that intentionally so that I'm not over-prepared with a formal message where I just talk, 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 and then get to the end. Instead, I like to let the room sort of create that atmosphere. Let the conversation take it where it will. There's a clip or two where we cut out voices in the room, but we, I think, pretty seamlessly put together this half hour that I'm, that I'm very excited about for you to hear. The day after I recorded this, I put it in my headphones and went out for a run, and I listened to it just to hear. It was still fresh on my mind, but I wanted to hear it again and see where I needed to make edits. And as I was listening, a couple of things hit me that I really wished I had landed on. And whenever we prepare a sermon, we are able to land on them. But when we're working on these things sort of extemporaneously, sometimes we don't land on them. I thought, well, why don't we just fix it? So at the end of the message, I'm going to come back to you. And I'm going to drop a couple of things on you that hit me in that morning run that I'd like to add to this sermon and say and sort of shore up the idea. So I'll get out of the way now. We'll get going into the message. Here's Forced Into the Kingdom. Uh, I've been thinking about the kingdom, and I'd like to talk to you about it for a minute. Um, Just uh, not trying to reinvent the wheel. The kingdom of God is is a present reality. I think everybody agrees with that. I think where we have divergence thoughts as Christians is what the manifestation of that kingdom looks like. Some people see the kingdom um, as looking very much like the world in regards to its manifestation, that when the kingdom really manifests, it will manifest with the Christian leaders, and they'll be making Christian movies in Hollywood, and they'll be passing Christian laws in Congress, and the sports facilities will all be Christian. And I think that's some ideas of the kingdom, that the kingdom's supposed to take over systems. And, and that, that uh, well, that, that I, that's a good question. Would it work? Um, I think maybe a better thought is to whether it would work or not as to what it would take to get there. And I think that's what causes us to have Um, ideas that part of our role as Christians is to take over. It's to take over Congress, to take over the White House, to take over the school board, to take over. And and part of the reason for that is to maybe bring in that Christian kingdom. Um, 
Other schools of thought are that the kingdom is entirely afterlife oriented. That when Jesus talks about inheriting the kingdom, it's a code word for heaven. So what he really means is that you get to go to the kingdom someday. That place over in the glory land, beyond the cosmic Jordan. The place that is heaven versus hell. The place where you live forever. And that that kingdom is where Jesus is now. And that his throne is there now. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And So that makes the kingdom uh, ever-present reality, but not one you can see. For others, the kingdom is sort of a, uh, a code word for the spirit realm. Like, the kingdom of God is real, but it's, and it's as real as angels and demons. Um, it's f- sort of filtered, filtering around in the background. Uh, it's a thing that surfaces once in a while, that you get to see it in the good of people. But there's also the kingdoms of darkness that overrun it and it doesn't often show up. And so we need to pray it in, fast it in, and, and sh- so that it manifests in our marriages or whatever. Um, there's probably 10 other ways, but those are sort of top of head ideas about the kingdom. Um, Jesus came and said the kingdom of heaven, and by the way, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, interchangeable. Matthew's the one that likes kingdom of heaven quite a bit. Kingdom of God, most of the other gospels like. Matthew's writing his gospel this is just free Bible study 101. Matthew's writing his gospel to, Jew, to a Jewish audience. Jews didn't write the word God. Um, even to this day, you know, G-D. So Matthew, to make it more palatable for the ear of a Jew, writes kingdom of heaven a lot in his gospel. It's talking about an interchangeable thing. So you, can, you don't have to worry about if it's of heaven or of God. Just think of it as the kingdom. Jesus comes along and says the kingdom is at hand. A phrase that means what it sounds like. The kingdom's really close. It's so close, in fact, Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repent, of course, is change your mind, the kingdom's at hand. And so Jesus' entrance to the kingdom, by his own admission, is if you would change your mind, you'd realize the kingdom's here. Jesus is then challenged in Matthew 12. One time he's casting out devils, and the scribes accuse him of casting out devils by the power of the devil. That's that famous house divided against itself passage from Mark. And Jesus says, if I do this by the finger of God, you must admit that the kingdom has come upon you. And so what Jesus is saying is, if I am being used of God, the only way that could happen is if the kingdom's here. So I say to people that want to talk about the kingdom only as a place called heaven or only as an invisible realm or only this thing we could get if we could get enough Christians elected. What did Jesus think? Because Jesus said, if this is the power of God, then the kingdom has to be here now. And if the kingdom was here in Christ, then the Old Testament prophesied that God was going to bring a kingdom that has no end. And so if Jesus says the kingdom's at hand, if I'm using the power of God, the kingdom's upon you, and the kingdom has no end, where'd it go? And so by Jesus' definition, the kingdom was here when he was here, in operation when he was in operation, and can't go anywhere, which means the kingdom of God isn't something hiding out, but the kingdom of God is something very alive and well, whether we ever elect a Christian leader or not, whether we ever manifest the kingdom in the way we talk, act, live. So maybe there's another way to think of the kingdom, and that is the kingdom is Christ in his glory here and now, and that that kingdom is real and something that in the end 
does exactly what God has designed his kingdom to do. And then that would bring us to the question is, well, then what is his kingdom supposed to do? And if you have a mentality that's that first one, then your mentality might be, well, what the kingdom's supposed to do is take over systems. That's the kingdom takes over Hollywood, kingdom takes over the White House definition. And I'll give you, as far as I'm concerned, it'd be better to have someone righteous in leadership than it would be to have someone unrighteous in leadership. Absolutely. I would rather have someone uh, who promotes the good over the evil any day. But I'm not so sure that that would have anything to do with the kingdom of God. If we had proper laws or proper leadership or we ruled righteously, we could do all of those things without Jesus, which means we wouldn't have his kingdom. Like we could put moral people in leadership and pass good laws, and we could do it without Christ, which means it might be a really good version of man's kingdom, but it wouldn't be the kingdom. And so finding out what it looks like, letting the kingdom of God become the rule, giving space for that, well, then that becomes a great challenge. In Matthew 11, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And he says, for all of those who were here it, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet ever born. Which is a pretty remarkable statement, considering there was an Isaiah one time, and an Ezekiel, um, and a Jeremiah, and Elijah. And yet John the Baptist, he says, the greatest one ever born. He's basically because John the Baptist is the one that heralds the arrival of the Savior. Therefore, he's the greatest ever born. He said, however, the least in the kingdom is better than John the Baptist, which is a pretty jaw-dropping statement. John the Baptist, he says, is the best there ever was, but the least in the kingdom is even better than John the Baptist. So Jesus shows us in one statement that everything we think we know about greatness is absolutely backwards. Which leads me to think that our first definition of the kingdom is probably wrong. That if we could just get in power and get the right people there, we'd manifest the kingdom. Because Jesus seems to push back on that real fast. Where he says, don't be so sure that what looks great would be great if manifested in the kingdom. The very least in the kingdom is even better than the very best of what would be a righteous kingdom now. And so, of course, we know that Jesus is talking about the righteousness that comes from in here. And the very least of us, whoever that is, greater than the very best that the law would have to offer. And then Jesus gives a statement that's been hijacked. (laughs) Jesus says, from the time up until John, the law and the prophets have been preached. He said, from the time of John, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. That's the gospel of Matthew chapter 11. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The reason I say we've hijacked that is because that's become a verse that people use to justify whatever means are necessary to make good things happen in the earth. If you want the kingdom, violence might be necessary. You might have to swing the sword to get the kingdom. You might have to be violent to get the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus said so. That's the response. Because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, violent take by force. If I want the kingdom, I'm going to have to do what I have to do 
to make it happen. The reason I say it's hijacked is because we're dealing with passages taken from an old language into a modern language, and along that filtering process, we add words, we move words, we change words, we misunderstand words, and we land in a spot sometimes that sounds less like the rest of Jesus' ministry and more like we wish Jesus would have talked, which is once in a while you got to do rough stuff if you want to make stuff happen. Once in a while you got to rough people up. Once in a while if you want the kingdom to happen, you're going to have to take it by force. I want to read a verse or two for you from Luke 16. So if you've got a Bible and you want to read along, this is a great verse to know. I want to show you the counter to that from Matthew 11, because I hope you realize that the Gospels are often telling you the same story through a different lens. So Matthew's telling you a story. Luke tells you the same story. They just shift the lens a little bit. When you get to Luke, he doesn't lay the Sermon on the Mount out the way that Matthew does. Matthew's is like Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. You get to Luke. Some of this stuff is scattered into different spots of Jesus' ministry. Like, for instance, and we ministered this this morning a little bit, where Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, if you divorce a woman, you give her a bill of divorcement. Okay. Luke doesn't put that with the rest of the Jesus' teachings. He just, he kind of lays it out there by itself here in Luke 16. But he attaches it real close to a teaching on the law and the kingdom. And I want to read for you a verse that I think is Luke's version gets a little closer in the English to where Jesus landed with that violent verse from Matthew 11. Look at Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Now that's a different thought than the violent take it by force, but there's still a press. Matthew's version... The kingdom of God suffers from violence and the violent take it. They press. Luke changes it a little bit and says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom is preached and everyone's pressing in. But they're both using a a very, well, they're both using the same word. It's just that they're using it in a tense that we don't often pick up on. Okay? The word is biasomai in the Greek, which is that word for uh, pressing. And I'm using that physical idea of pressing. But biasomai always is a passive force verb in the Greek. Always. So when it ends up in Matthew as the kingdom of heaven suffers violent and the violent take it by force, that's not using the Greek tense properly. Luke uses the Greek tense even better. Up until John, the law and the prophets existed, but now, he goes, the kingdom of heaven, everybody's pressing into it. Beazomai, everyone is pressing to get in, but because it's a passive force verb, it means less you pressing and more you being pressed into. Okay. Less forcing by you and more you being forced. Is that saying that right? That make, I hope that makes sense. So you read it in the English, it looks like I'm doing the pressing. But the tense in the Greek is, I'm being pressed. So in our idea then, the kingdom is suffering violence and violent people got to take it. But in the passiveness of the Greek tense, the kingdom of heaven is violently dragging or forcing or taking people into it. 
Let me say it a little better. Until John, there was the law and the prophets. This is is a synopsis of Jesus' Luke 16, 16. Until John, there was the law and the prophets. Right? Sure. The law and the prophets, then comes John. Jesus goes, here's the greatest prophet ever. Why? Well, because he's talking about Jesus. But not just because he's talking about Jesus, but because he signifies the end of the law and the prophets. No longer are we dealing with just the law and the prophets. Now John's here. And because John has come, since John... The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is being biazomide into it, Greek, or this. The kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is being pressed into the kingdom. Not just persuaded, not maybe so pressed into the kingdom. Boy, I wish we had worded it that way. Because rather than taking a verse and figuring, well, we're supposed to be violent sometimes for the kingdom. If we had taken it the way it was written, we would realize that the kingdom is violently taking us. It's reaching into the world and pulling us in, or it sounds a little something like this from John 12. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Right? Famous passage, John 12, 32. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We use that verse uh, as a way of saying that if we were to lift up Jesus in this church, people would get saved. It's not a bad thing to say. Um, It's way better than not lifting Jesus up. I would say that. All right? It's, It's not accurate from the Greek, But it's still a pretty good thought. I mean, sometimes we're not necessarily accurate from the Greek, but we still stumble upon something pretty good. It'd be way better to lift Jesus up and press Jesus down. You got got a choice here. We can either lift Jesus or we can lift people or lift a pastor or lift a church or lift a doctor. Well, let's, let's choose Jesus. Always line up with Jesus. But it's not really what Jesus says. Like, in fact, he never even said the word men. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all to me. Well, and maybe contextually he means I'll draw all the judgment into myself. And maybe he means I'll draw all death into me or whatever. But it's even better than that. Because the word draw is the same word as the Greek word drag. As in a drag net in the Gospels. So try this on for size. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll drag everybody to me. Ooh. Well, sounds a lot like Luke 16, 16. Until John, they had the law and the prophets. But since John, the good news has been proclaimed. And everybody's being forced in to the kingdom. Now, guys, I don't know what it looks like for everyone to be forced into the kingdom. But I trust the king. I trust the king knows how to force us into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is advancing whether we see it or not, know it or not, or like it or not. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a seed. You drop into the ground and it grows into a great tree and its branches cover the heavens and all the fowls of the earth find home in the branches. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who plants seed in a garden, goes home and goes to bed and doesn't think anything more about it 
and he gets up the next day, and then eventually he draws in his harvest. He said, the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman takes and drops into three measures of meal until the whole loaf rises. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who's fishing, and he throws his net out into the sea, and he drags his net, drags his net drags his net behind him and he pulls out of the ocean of all kinds of fish and he himself separates the fish. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man that plants seed in a field and the enemy comes along and sows in tares, but he won't let his harvesters harvest lest they can't tell the difference in the wheat and the tares. So at the end of the age, he'll do it and he will separate his wheat from his tears. It sounds to me like the kingdom wins. No matter how we shake it, no matter how we define it, we either trust Jesus or we don't. And if we trust him, then the kingdom is like yeast in bread, and the kingdom is like seed in the ground, and the kingdom is like a harvest, and the kingdom is like a dragnet, and the kingdom is like a field, and the kingdom is like a man that goes and he looks for a great pearl and he finds it and he sells all that he has and he buys the pearl at great price. These are all kingdom stories. Sometimes I wonder why we're so confused on the kingdom when every time you turn around in the gospels, Jesus goes, oh, oh, by the way, you know what the kingdom's like? And then he tells a story. Three verses later, hey, you want what the kingdom's like? And he tells a story. And here we are 2,000 years later wondering what the kingdom's like. And Jesus goes, well, it's like this, 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 this. Which one of these do you like? You like fishing illustrations, farming illustrations, ag illustrations, into the world illustrations? Uh, what, what do you want? I'll give you, I'll give you another one. And he said, and if that doesn't work, just remember this, that the law and the prophets lasted till John, but since then the good news, good news, the kingdom is violently dragging people into it. I like to think of it this way. The kingdom of God is violently dragging people into it, kicking and screaming. We kick and scream against the love of God, and he loves us anyway. We kick and scream against the mercy of God, and he's merciful anyway. We kick and scream against the grace of God, and he's gracious anyway. We kick and scream against a God of compassion, hope. And he just keeps on pouring out compassion and hope. The kingdom of God, to me, is an exciting reality about what it means to follow the king. I get to see his life and mine. Quite frankly, whether I like it or not. The more time I spend with a king, the more I get to see what his kingdom looks like. The more I get to experience it in my home, in my heart, my life, my marriage, my children, my finances, my body. It does not in any way mean that everything is good because the kingdom of heaven is like a field where wheat grows with tares. Like there's a bunch of bad stuff going on in the world that doesn't mean the kingdom is hiding. It means the kingdom's right in the middle of it. Right up next to the tare is a wheat. Right up next to the terror is the success of the kingdom. And I have to believe that it isn't as much about the violent taking the kingdom by force as the kingdom operating through the violence of radical love. Well, that's his wrath. That's his wrath. The very definition of the wrath of God is the love of God spurned. The violent love of God is not slitting throats, but it drags us kicking and screaming to the judgment seat of Christ so that we can receive who he is for what we are. And the beauty of this is evident in, in Christ. It's the person, he's the personification of the kingdom. Um, 
we want practical understanding of how to live this out in our lives. Uh, what does it look like if I live the kingdom? I think there's no better way to describe it as far as I'm concerned than to pay attention to Jesus. And I mean really pay attention to the Jesus of the Gospels. He is giving you a day-by-day account of what it looks like to function inside of his Father's kingdom in the middle of the kingdoms of the world. Jesus is living in his day in the kingdom of the Roman Empire, the kingdom of the Caesars. When we think empire today, that's the empire we think of. To this day, 2,000 years later, when we think of the word empire, we stick Roman in front of it, even though they weren't the first empire and they weren't the last empire. But he's living in the very embodiment of the word empire. You know what the word kingdom is in the Greek? You know what it means? Another English translation of the word for kingdom? Empire. Jesus is looking at the empire of Caesar. He's looking at the empire of the world, the way the world works. And he's saying, good news, there's a better empire. An empire is led by an empirical ruler. But empire stretches and it takes in other places into its purview. That's what makes it an empire. It isn't just one country. It then starts to take over the countries around it. So for Jesus, this was subversive talk in the middle of the Roman Empire to say, the empire of the king of kings is here and it is slowly going to take over the world. And yet Jesus doesn't try to overthrow Caesar. He doesn't try to get elected to the Roman Senate. He doesn't try to join up with the army. He doesn't even lead a military rebellion. So how are we to imagine that his kingdom takes over if not by just watching how Jesus loves people individually? then that becomes the answer. And so how do we live the kingdom? We let, we let the king show up and do in us. So this is why I said, I, great, if we could get good leaders, great. We had good laws, great. But let's not conflate it with what the kingdom is trying to do. Because the kingdom of God is not about establishing. Because, by the way, if you... If you, if you If it's all about natural kingdoms and getting the right leaders and passing the right laws, who gets to be the ruler on what's the right law? Who gets to tell you which one's moral? Because good luck with that. Because the minute you start to try to let someone else tell everybody else what to do, you have set yourself up for a rebellion of the rankest order. And I don't care if it started from a good place. Um... I heard someone, a Christian pastor the other day say, what we really need in this hour is a Caesarean-like leader that leads us to good. And I thought, dear God, never ask for a Caesar just because you think he's going to do it in Jesus' name. Because there is no such thing as, the, as marrying the power of the world with the Holy Spirit. And, and no, the answer's not just give up and let the world do whatever it will do. There is the careful tension of us being people in the world that want to see the world function in a way that is equitable for every citizen, that provides liberty, that provides safety, that provides security. And we have a responsibility for that. But let's not conflate the kingdom of Jesus, which is a kingdom of everything Jesus said. Sermon on the Mount's a good place to start. Yeah. But if you want, and I don't want to ramble on this, but if you want a good 
starting block, the very first thing Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? Kingdom of God. There it is. His opening salvo is, you know what the kingdom looks like? And, and it just, it, from that point on, he's building the case. The kingdom looks nothing like what you've seen before. Um, what I would want you to take away tonight is the thing that um, it really has been exciting to me, that's pressed on me, and I, um, is that idea of, of the kingdom be people being pressed into the kingdom, not people pressing into the kingdom. And just think about, let that kind of marinate in your soul for a few days. What, did, what does it mean that the kingdom of God, not that the violent take it by force, but that the kingdom is violently taking people? What, what, what does that look like? What, what does that mean for us as a people? We're 2,000 years from that, and we're still here. We are still talking about Jesus. We are still talking about the resurrected man. And the, and, and the earth has exploded around that message. The whole earth has been blessed by the arrival of the new creation that is Christ. And we go through peaks and valleys and big time, good times and bad times, but I am a believer that the kingdom of God is as strong on the earth now as it was when the king walked the earth in Jesus. And it is because he lives in the lives of every one of his citizens. When he said to his disciples, greater things than these shall you do because I go to my father, he was not fooling around. And we don't give him a lot of credit for that statement. Greater things than these are you guys going to do because I'm going to disappear. At one point, he said, it is good for you that I go away. Think about that. It is good for you that I go away. What? I would have, I would have raised my hand and disagreed. If I was in the room and Jesus goes, hey, guys, it's good for you that I'm not here anymore. I would have said, you're crazy. It's good for you that, good for us that you go away. That's how powerful Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was. He said, you will be better off if I'm not in the room because I'm going to live inside of you. And greater things are you going to do because I leave. Because you're going to learn how to flow in the Spirit in ways you don't know now. And I think we are. And I don't, I don't know that... I think sometimes we, quant, we try to quantify it too much through the lens of looking at the whole world or looking at the things of the world rather than quantifying it um, the Jesus way. But... That's my thoughts. Um, just really wanting you to think about the kingdom. And speaking of the kingdom, I, I'm jumping back in here as I promised I would do at the top of this message. Um, having listened to this, there's just a couple of things I wanted to land on that the extemporaneous nature of that uh, did not land me on in the moment. One of those things is that Jesus was offered by the devil in the wilderness the chance to take the kingdoms of the earth. Bow down to me, the devil said, and I will give to you the kingdoms of the earth. Kingdoms, plural, all of these places makes you an emperor. That's an empire. That's a kingdom. So he's offering Jesus the chance to be the emperor, to be the head of a kingdom, 
And you and I know that Jesus is the head of a kingdom and is on his way to his inauguration called the cross in which he will be inaugurated as king of a kingdom in the most unconventional way in the history of the world. That he would become king over a kingdom by stepping into death. When Caesar is killed uh, by Brutus and Cassius and the rest of the senators, stabbed to death at the floor of the Senate, no one assumes that Caesar becomes emperor upon his death because when he dies, his empire could die with him. And it doesn't. Rome undergoes a civil war following the death of Caesar. Eventually, Augustus rises up and takes that, those reins of power. But there is a vacuum there because the death of an emperor in the kingdoms of the world or the death of the head of the kingdoms of the world causes a power vacuum that's rushed in by other people who want to be the head. Jesus becomes head by stepping into death. It's absolutely opposite, which tells us that the way of the kingdom is absolutely opposite. By the way, lest we think that what the kingdom is going to do in violently pulling in people into its mix, that it's going to use the way of the world, lest we think that will be the way it happens, look again at that wilderness experience. When the devil says to Jesus that if he would bow knee to me, he would give him the kingdoms of the earth, he's showing him that the only way to take over the kingdoms of the earth is to join forces with the current emperor. Do things the emperor's way and you can have the kingdoms of the earth. Well, where the enemy is wrong is it's not the only way to take the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus has an alternate way, the way of heaven. May your will be done on the earth as it is done in heaven. May the kingdoms of the earth become the kingdoms of our God in the way that it is in the kingdom. So if you have this suspicion that maybe the kingdom of God does eventually take over because it just simply dominates the rest of the systems of the world, be careful that your definition of domination is not using the tactics of the world. Uh, The other thing that strikes me that I think is the perfect place to really land this before we say a prayer and, and send you on your way with the blessings of the Lord and our thanks for joining us is that Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And when Jesus left, we said this in this message a moment ago, that when Jesus left, he left us with the Holy Spirit and said we were better off with him leaving. And that on the face sounds ridiculous. How are we better off? Well, because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if the kingdom of God is a kingdom without end, and we have the Holy Spirit, then we have the ongoing current presence of the king of the kingdom inside of us, which means greater things than we than these shall you do because I go to my Father, because we have the Holy Spirit. When Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, he brings out these things that exemplify what we sort of consider a Christian to look like, like the way we act and the way we love. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm reading to you from Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
Have you ever noticed any of those things in someone who doesn't consider themselves a, a Christian or a believer? And if you're being honest, the answer is yes. You've noticed, you, you know someone that doesn't claim to be a Christian that has love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How's that possible? And you might say, well, it's, it's their joy, their peace, their long-suffering. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is these things. If these things are coming out, that is, in one way or the other, the fruit of the Spirit coming out. How is this possible, if not, that the King is always pressing His kingdom on the earth? That somehow, some way, the kingdom sneaks out. Just think about that. Because the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the kingdom. And it's sort of like word that grows up in thorny ground once in a while. I'm not saying that it's enough to to affect total transformation of the soul in that individual. But maybe. And I'm glad I'm not the one who dictates where the kingdom is and where the kingdom is not. I hope... These two little additions have helped you to land with us in this message on the kingdom, forced into the kingdom, and what that might look like and what it might not look like. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you first for this time that we had with our friends live, and we got to talk about the kingdom and what they poured into me and what I was hopefully able to pour into them. And I want to thank you for this platform that we can then share that meeting with our friends all around the world who have come into this message today hoping to hear something good about Jesus, and I pray we haven't failed. That, Father, we thank you that the Word works timelessly and that it goes to work immediately but does not always have immediate results and that there's no clock for you, so you're doing the work at your pace. Thank you for that. And we pray that, Father, we live out the kingdom of God in every possible way, beginning right now. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. God bless.